Turning your Bibles to Psalm 150, we're going to look at the doctrine of doxology, how we worship God. The word doxology means uh, doctrine of worship. Uh, doxa or doxa uh, in, in uh, Greek means uh, worship or, or praise or, um, you know, to, to, to lift up. Um, and, then, and then logos means words or, or doctrine. So doxology is words about or doctrine of uh, worship. Now, um, it's worth noting on the, on the outset that uh, worship is more... Th- worship and music are not synonymous. Worship kind of encomp- in, encompasses, it refers to more than, than mu- music in the church is... Like all music in the church, more or less, is, is worship, but, but all worship is not music, right? Worship is kind of this all-encompassing... You know, Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to the Father through Him. Everything that you do is worship in one way or another. First um, Corinthians 10, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the purpose of worshiping God. Romans 12, present your bodies, right? So, uh, you know, your, your entire life, the entirety of who you are, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship is not music that we sing in church. Worship is a life that we live in humble submission to God, right? Loving God, wanting to, to lay our lives down for God. Every act of obedience, every act of faith, every act of repentance that you do in your life is worship. And yet uh, musical, the music ministry in the local church is particularly, um, it, it has kind of a particular uh, emphasis of, of worship. It's a specific area of worship. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about music and, and worship music in the local church. So I'm going to read Psalm 150 in its entirety. And then we are going to just think together about what it looks like to praise and worship and exalt and lift up God. And how music is intended to help us do that as believers in the life of the, the church. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you, to, to come here and meet with us in these next few minutes. We ask you to just bless our hearts and our souls uh, as we consider your word together. We commit these next few minutes to you and we entrust them to you and we pray that you would work mightily in us through them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. Verse 1, right? Uh, a, Psalm starts and ends with that same three word, praise the, the Lord. It's a command. It's something that the psalmist is calling us to do. It's, a, it's an action verb. It's something that you do. It's a, it's a, it's a behavior. It's a task uh, to, to you know, make much of God, ascribe glory and honor to God. The, the idea is that God is awesome. God is beautiful. God is glorious. God is incredible. And your job, your task is to uh, behold God's like blazing 
beauty and glory. It's to behold it and then it's to agree with it. It's to agree that the thing that you're beholding, which is objectively glorious, you agree subjectively that you think that it is glorious as it, as it is. Right? To, to, to behold God's beauty and to celebrate God's beauty, that's, that's worship. And the reality is we were created specifically to worship God. We were created for the worship of God. It's the whole point of why human beings were created, right? If we don't, if we don't read our Bible, if we're not thinking carefully theologically, we might arrive at the, at the conclusion that God created humanity because he wanted a friend, right? God was lonely. He'd been around all by himself forever and ever. He wanted someone to interact with. And so, so God's existence for all of eternity was somehow incomplete. And, and then he created us so that he could feel complete and whole and fulfilled. We might arrive at that conclusion because that's how we tend to feel as human beings, right? We were, uh, you know, created for relationships with a pronounced need for relationships. We weren't created to live in isolation. We were created to live in community. I don't need to convince anyone of that. Especially now, after the, the pandemic that, that has kind of been on us for the last, you know, year or two. It was awful, right? Because we, a lot of our relationships were kind of severed and we were kind of stuck in... We, we had all the entertainment that we wanted. We had all of the resources that we could ever need uh, delivered to us. But we were suffering because it was, we were in isolation. It was lonely and it was, was difficult. So that's what we experience. Isolation is painful and it's suffering and relationships and community are life-giving and we thrive in them. And so we might think, oh, that's God's story. God was alone and he was suffering and then he created us and then he had friends, he had family, and then he was, you know, thriving. That's not uh, the the reality with God because God does not have any uh, deficiencies within him himself he never has there's there's net before or after god created anything there has never been anything lacking in god anything incomplete in god he's always been perfectly and utterly and infinitely satisfied and content within himself and specifically with respect to uh, relationships and isolation god has never needed any relationships outside of himself because god has relationships within himself God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So for all of, all of eternity, ever since eternity passed until the present, God has, has existed in relationship, in community, perfectly fulfilled, perfectly content. All of the needs that, that, that people have to give and receive love and relationship, God has had that. He didn't lack that and then get it after he created us. He's always had that. So, okay, if God didn't create us, so that he could have a friend, so that he could have a relationship, so that he could not be lonely anymore, then why did God create us? The Westminster Catechism states that the chief end of man, or the reason that God created humanity, if you want to say it that way, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's about as good of a definition as you can kind of have for worship, right? To, to glorify someone, or to glorify God and to enjoy him is to worship God. So we were created to glorify God. We were created to enjoy God. We were created to, to worship God. You know, we were created to exalt God. E-X-A-L-T means to lift him up, to, to you know, praise him, to magnify him, right? God is exalted, and we were created to exalt, E-X-U-L-T, 
uh, in God. Exult means to delight or to be happy or glad. And so we were created to magnify, worship, lift God up, and we were created to be happy and glad and content in God. That's what worship is. That's what we were created to do. And so the psalmist is saying, that's what you were made to do, so merge with it. Lean into it. Do that and do it well. But it's not... It's not just, I mean, it is true that we were created to worship God, and this is a command to worship God, but it's also, um, it's also true that we, we were created to worship God, and we were created as worshipers, and so there's this inevitability that all human beings, as worshipers, are worshiping. Like, there's no one, no one is not worshiping, right? The question is not, uh, if I'm going to worship meaning I'll worship God or I won't worship anything. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? It's not, will you worship, you know, believe in God, go to church, worship Him, or not. It's, it's who will you worship? What will you worship? Will it be God? Will you worship God by believing Him and trusting Him and obeying Him? Or will you worship something else in place of God? Money, <coughs> power, status, success, your life turning out the way that you want it to be, your kids turning out the way that you want them to be, right? Whatever the thing is that you desire most and think about most and dream about the most and that you're the most upset when you think about it being threatened or taken from you, right? You're starting to kind of get at that which you are, practically speaking, that you're, that you're worshiping, that which you are giving your heart and soul to. Because again, everyone, religious or not, everyone is a worshiper. Everyone worships something. And this reality kind of um, is, is put really interestingly by David Foster Wallace, um, who was a, a novelist and an author. Um, he, he, uh, yeah, we got a, got a quote from here. He says, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, this guy's not a believer to my knowledge. Wasn't a believer uh, while he was alive, but maybe he was. I'm not sure. There's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. It says you can worship money and things. You can worship your body and beauty and sexual allure. You can worship power. You can worship intellect. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they are unconscious. They're the default settings. They're the kind of worship that you just gradually slip into day after day without ever being fully aware that that's what you are doing. He's kind of getting at what Paul is saying in Romans 1, where you either worship God, the Creator, or you exchange the glory of God for a lie. You worship and serve created things instead of the God who created you. Everyone worships. Everyone worships someone or something. The question is not whether you're worshiping. The question is who are you worshiping? And what are you worshiping? And the psalmist wants to make that very clear, what our task is. Our task is to worship God, the one who created us, the only one who deserves to be worshipped, the only person who is, in fact, worthy of any worship at all. So praise the Lord. Then in the rest of 1 and 2, he kind of looks at these two different tensions um, and kind of holds them, them both up that kind of exist together, right? Verse 1, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. So two places that kind of are both where God can exist, and they're kind of in tension with one another. So God is in His sanctuary, 
Sanctuary is like this, this place that's set apart to be holy, for God to dwell with His people, and for them to enjoy His presence, and for them to worship Him. In the Old Testament, the sanctuary was the, the tabernacle. Later, it was the permanent structure of the temple. In the New Testament, it's no longer a building. It's no longer a place at all. It's a people, the church. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that you are the temple of God. Ephesians 2, he says that the church is the temple of God. The sanctuary where God dwells, where God's people meet with Him and where they worship Him, is the the church, the people that have been called out of the world. And so, verse 1 is saying, praise God in His sanctuary means praise Him here, right here, right now, where where you are. Because God is personal and He's here with you. And that's to be contrasted with praise Him in His mighty heavens. That's not here. That's not close and not among us. That's out there. It's, it's far away. It's high and exalted. So praise God here in His sanctuary with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God there in the heavens with the angels and the heavenly hosts and the saints who have died and gone on to be with Him in, in heaven. And the tension that He's getting at is that kind of here and there. This world versus heaven. Where, where we are and God is here with us and where God is and we are not with Him. Those are two different things that, that we want to worship God in view of both of those realities. Theologians call this the, the tension of God's transcendence and God's imminence. So on the one hand, God is transcendent. He's majestic. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's righteous. He's far away. He's not like you. He's not your buddy. He's not your friend. He's, not, he's your Lord and your King. You bow before Him. Familiarity breeds contempt. And so don't become overly familiar with God as if He's just someone that you can speak casually to and kind of walk casually into His presence. God's bigger than you and stronger than you and higher than you. Right? Think of songs like, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, right? All the saints adore you. They cast down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim fall down before you. The eyes of sinful man cannot look on your glory. You're perfect in power, love, and purity. You were, you are, you always will. This is not your friend. This is not a guy that you would go grab a beer with and watch a game with, right? God is transcendent. He's otherworldly. He's different than you. He's higher than you. He is your sovereign Lord. The appropriate response is to fall prostrate before him on your face and acknowledge the fact that he's different than you, better than you, higher than you. That's God's transcendence. And God is imminent. He's near. He's close. He's incarnate. He's, he's with us. He's, imminence means to exist within or to operate within. God is gracious and merciful and we can know Him and we can interact with Him and we can have a relationship with Him. Think of a song like, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Lines like, Jesus loves me, teaches me, searches me, He's called me. He's given me His Spirit. He's kept me by His side. God is not just transcendent, otherworldly, out there, far away from you, apart from you. He's also imminent. He's here with us, in us. We can experience His nearness. He's high and exalted, and He's near and with us. And that's the tension that the psalmist is getting at. Praise God because He is transcendent and glorious, Praise God because He is imminent and near. 
Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Here's another uh, tension to, to kind of hold in place. Praise God for what he has done. Praise God for who he is. Both of them are reasons to praise God. Both of them are reasons to exalt God, right? Praise God for his mighty deeds. The idea is stop. Take stock. Take inventory. Look at your life. Consider your life. Consider how the Lord has worked in your life. What the Lord has done in your life. Consider that God has created the world out of nothing. He sustained it to this very day. Consider that God has created humanity and invited them into a special relationship with Him. He's spoken to us, given us His Word. When we sinned against Him, He pursued us and loved us. He became one of us. He's dwelled among us. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death in our place to satisfy the wrath of God. God has provided for us, taken care of us, treated us better than we deserve to be treated. God has, has interrupted your God, the, the hell-bound race that you are on. God interrupted it. He intervened. His Spirit gave you life. He opened up the eyes of your heart to the Gospel so that you could believe in Him. He gave you eyes to see, a heart to believe, faith to trust. Even today, He's keeping you alive. He's keeping you from falling away from the faith. He's keeping you safe and secure all the way into eternity. God has done mighty deeds, miraculous, supernatural deeds in your life and in the life of those around you. And, and it is only appropriate to praise Him and worship Him because of them. The risk we, the risk we run as human beings is that we kind of have this default setting that just acquire, consume, move on. Acquire, consume, move on. I, I need more, I have to have more, let me go get more. So that I, right, Whatever we don't have, we uh, feel entitled to it. We're mad that we don't have it. It's all we think about. It dominates our airspace. And then whatever we get, we feel entitled to it. Same thing. We feel like we should have it. So we might be thankful for a moment, but we almost immediately adapt to it, forget that we even have it, and start thinking uh, about the next thing that we want. Acquire, consume, move on. I mean, I, uh, years ago, a friend invited me to his kid's birthday party, five or six years old, something like that. And it was interesting to watch this kid's, like, it's almost his, like, involuntary, like, like biologically built-in response Tear open the presents, the toys, remote control car, incredible, set it down, another toy, open it. Right? He wanted to kind of move from one person to the next, and, and the whole time, uh, the parent had to be like, wait, stop, uh, you know, re read the card of who gave that to you. Make, look at them, make eye contact with them, tell them thank you. Okay, now that you've done that, now let's go to the next toy. But like, the idea of stopping, thinking, remembering, being thankful did not come naturally to this child. It had to be driven into him. And the, the, the instinct to consume, acquire, consume, move on, acquire, consume, move on, that's kind of what's built into to him. If I'm honest, I have the exact same tendency. Acquire, consume, enjoy, move on. And the psalmist is saying, don't do that. Don't fail to see and consider and be impressed by and be affected by and be moved by the mighty deeds of God that He has done on your... If you've never, if you've never sat down, taken inventory, considered how God has blessed you, considered how He's treated you better than you deserve to be treated, thanked Him for it, 
written it down, praised him for it, that'd be a good exercise to do this week. Take 10 minutes, take a piece of paper, take a pen, and write down all the ways that you can think of that God has blessed you and treated you better than you deserve to be treated. And then thank him for it. Praise God for his mighty deeds. But not just, like, it's not just praise God for his mighty deeds, it's also praise him according to his excellent greatness. So, lest we think for a moment that we should only praise God for what he has done for us, right, the things that he's done, the ways that we have personally benefited from him, the psalmist is also saying you should worship God for who he is, regardless of what he does. Regardless of whether he does anything for, or not for you ever again. Regardless of whether he gives you anything that you want or, or not. God, regardless of that, God is beautiful and glorious and awesome. If all we ever do is thank God for the ways that he's blessed us, thank God for the things that he's done for us, the perks that we have from knowing him, from being in his orbit, then we're missing a big part of the... Right? Think about your relationship with your spouse. If you... If you uh, go out of your way to anticipate your spouse's needs and meet them, something that they, you know that they want you to do, you do it without being asked, or you cut the grass, thank you, I love you, right? Or you use the car to run an errand, you fill it up with gas, even though you know that they're going to be the next one to use it, thank you, I love you. Make dinner, clean up around the house, right? Buy them something nice just to say I was thinking of you, thank you, I, I, I love you. Imagine if the only times you ever heard thank you and I love you were when you did things like that. And apart from those times when you go out of your way to bless them and to, to you know, do something nice for them, it's just cold indifference. Eventually, it'd become discouraging. You'd start to wonder, do they, I, hear that they, I hear that they say they love me whenever I do something for them, but do they? Or do they just love the stuff that they get from me? Right? And you kind of contrast that with someone who's verbally affectionate. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I think you're awesome. I'm glad that I get to be with you. On your best days when you're serving me well, I love you. I'm glad I get to be with you. On your worst days when you're not at your best, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm glad that I get to be with you. Because your spouse doesn't love you for the extraneous benefits that they can squeeze out of you. They just love you for you. That's what the psalmist is getting at here, right? Worship God for what he does, for his mighty deeds, to be sure. When God does things for you, thank him, worship him, acknowledge him, praise him for that. And when he doesn't, when you pray and God doesn't answer your prayers, praise him because he is excellent and great. When there's something that you want or need and you don't get it, God is still worthy of your adoration and respect just because of who He is. So praise God in His sanctuary. He's imminent. He's here with us. Praise God in His mighty heavens. He's transcendent and otherworldly. Praise God for His mighty deeds, what He has done. Praise God for His excellent greatness, who He is. And then in verses 3-5, through five, He speaks specifically to music, right? Praise Him with a trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp, the tambourine and dance, strings and pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. This is quite a list of instruments here. It's like all the groups, right? It's the brass. Oh, gosh. I, I jumped before I knew what to do with the ball on this one. <laughs> brass, woodwinds, percussion, 
strings. That's all of them, right? So, right, they're all there. Brass, woodwind, forget, like all, all of the different instruments. Every kind is kind of at your disposal. It branches out into visual forms of expression, dance, as opposed to just kind of auditory and, and vocal. And he's saying, praise God with God created music, right? Just like God created humanity, and the reason he created humanity is to worship him and to make much of him and to enjoy him. God also created music. And the reason why he created music is so that human beings would use it to worship him and to make much of him and to enjoy him. That's why music exists. I want to point out three kind of implications of these three verses about music that, that, you know, I think that we would do well to let inform our music ministry here at James River. First is to be intentional. All of these instruments here, they all require, you have to learn them, hours, right? Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours, you have, to, you have to practice for thousands and thousands of hours to get good at any of these instruments. They're skills that you have to learn and practice and, and hone. And so God, he's not saying, uh, I mean, he is saying elsewhere, worship God by being kind to your neighbor, which doesn't really require, I mean, it's just something you do in the moment. It's a choice you make. But he's saying here, worship God with this thing, this acquired skill that you have to learn and think about and practice. You have to get cal- not, Calluses on your fingers. Just saying that, I'm rising. My hands hurt from playing these drums. I didn't, I just kind of, you know. So yeah, you have, you have to like work at it. You have, it's, it's a discipline. It's something that you have to do. Cultivate the skill of singing. Cultivate the skill of learning an instrument. Put in time. Practice it. And then leverage that skill that you've cultivated for the good of the body. I've heard a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of people say, they, uh, I, don't, I don't sing. They use a self-deprecating joke to explain why they don't sing in church, right? Like, oh, I'm not. You wouldn't want, like, Ben, trust me, you wouldn't want to hear me sing because I'm a bad uh, singer. That's why I don't participate. That's why I don't sing. And it's why I don't kind of contribute to the congregation's voice as we sing together. You know, I'm tone deaf. I sound terrible. It would be off-putting. I'm not musically inclined. I've heard a number of people say that. I've heard a number of pastors say that. I know pastors who don't sing with their congregation. They have their, you know, have like a green room that they like hang out backstage, like they're in Nirvana or something, you know, like in, in some band. And then they come out like a rock star and preach after the, you know, and then they escape back to the green room. That's not how the Bible understands music to operate in the context of a local church. Some performance that people do, that, that other people consume, and everyone kind of has this choice. Either I am musically inclined, therefore I'll participate, or I'm not musically inclined, therefore I won't participate. I, I googled tone deafness this week. I've heard a lot of people say they're tone deaf. Tone deafness is a neurological disorder. It's a birth defect. Or something that comes as a result of a traumatic brain injury. So, you might be tone deaf. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Like Maybe you have that neurological disorder, or maybe you have found a new way to be tone deaf that the medical community has not found. But most of us are probably not tone deaf. Most of us, it's not that we can't sing. It's that we just don't want to sing. Right? We don't want to put in the work of getting better at singing. We don't want to humble ourselves and sing, despite the fact that we don't think that we're as good of a singer as maybe the people around us are. 
So be intentional, right? Pursue, cultivate the, the, the skill of being musical, of being able to leverage music to worship God, both as, as a member of the congregation, so you can sing, right? If, if, you're, if Jason's up here leading music and one guy's singing and everyone else is not, that one guy is not encouraged. He feels exposed and stupid and doesn't want to do it. But if ever in singing, regardless of whether we're good or bad, we all feel encouraged and mobilized. The, the bad singers are still happy to sing because they're like, oh, everyone else is kind of bad too with me. And the good singers are like, great, let's, let's all sing together and we'll all get better together. If you're musically inclined, you should be leveraging your skill for the good of the church. You should be singing when you're sitting in the congregation. You should be pursuing Jason, asking him how you can help serve with the music ministry, play an instrument, right? Lead, you know, lead music during our member meetings, our monthly member meetings on Sunday evenings. Lead music on Sunday mornings so Jason can have a week off. Play, you know, accompany him so that there's kind of more variety. Play, you know, drums, bass, right? We can have a whole band, right? If you're musically inclined, you should be leaning in and kind of leveraging it for the good of your church. And if you're not musically inclined, you should be intentionally seeking to cultivate the skill of music so that you can get... Right? No one would say, oh, I'm just not a good spouse. It's just not... Right? I'm not a good parent. It's just not really my gifting, not really my skill set, so I'm just not... No, you work at it, you get better at it. Same thing with music. people of God have a long lineage. A lo right? Music is what it is today. I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the church and the people of God have pushed humanity forward in any number of ways. Music is one of them. A lot of the music that you enjoy today, uh, it either was created by a believer who appreciates truth and beauty and goodness because the Holy Spirit has regenerated them, or it was created by someone who themselves was influenced by a believer. Like, like literacy. Right or I don't know uh, in any number of areas where the where the Christian church has pushed humanity forward, music is is one of them because God has called us to use music to worship Him. So be intentional about worshiping God. Don't just write it off as something that you don't have to do, don't feel like doing. <clears throat> Here's another implication: be emotive. So one, be intentional. Two, be emotive. <clears throat> Look at the language, right? tambourine dance right look at the look at the punctuation exclamation points after every sentence right that it's it's you know this the, the exhortation coming from the psalmist here is to be excited and invested not to be bored or to be doing it out of compulsion even though you wish that you were somewhere else right there, the, 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 there's a passion and an enthusiasm and excitement and emotion that's kind of implied here a lot of times, emotive worship gets a bad rap in the American Christian landscape. Sometimes for good reason. Right? We associate it with kind of radical Pentecostalism, you know, speaking in tongues without interpretation, getting slain in the spirit, hyper-emotional services, bad theology, televangelists getting rich, using their churches as like a money laundering tax dodge, right? We're like, that's, I'm not any of that. That stuff's bad. I am theologically careful. I am not any of those things that I'm concerned about. They're marked by hyper-emotional worship. So I'm going to be marked by emotionless worship. And that's just an overcorrection that's not helpful. And I, I'm going to be honest, I have 
I am, have the tendency as much as anyone in this room to be guilty of that kind of overreaction for a number of reasons. One, I'm white. <laughs> right? Like it or not, white people are not known for having really emotive worship services. If you travel to South America, Africa, Asia, if you go to a non-white church in America, it's going to probably be more expressive, more emotive. People are participating, singing loud, amen, preach it, right? No one says amen when I'm preaching. <laughs> the, most of, the, the, the extent of the response that I get when I'm preaching is eye contact and a nod, right? Like someone's like, he's looking at me, I better nod so that he knows I'm not zoning out and staring blankly through, through him, right? So I'm white. A lot of us here are white. And so we kind of have maybe are, are inclined or have this tendency toward a worship that's less emotive, that's un, unhealthy for that reason. Another reason is that I'm reformed. Strike two, right? White guy who's reformed. You're like, there's, you have a 0% chance of having an emotive worship experience, right? I believe that God is sovereign over all things. I believe that, that God is sovereign over whether or not people come to him and trust in him. God's in charge of that, not us. God's sovereign. We are not. For whatever reason, folks in that theological stream tend to be less emotive and less enthusiastic during worship. They're affectionately called by some of their friends, the frozen chosen Chosen because we believe that God has chosen us. We didn't choose him. Frozen because everyone shows up. Right? It's like a, like a prison photo, right? Like a, you know, a funeral. Everyone's you know, quiet, dispassionate, somber. We recite things together. And it looks like we're in pain when we do. And we kind of all, right? Like, we don't like this, and that's fine because we're not supposed to like it. We're just all here to do it so that we can go home and watch football, which is what we really want to do anyway. That's my tribe. That's my stereotype. It's often true. And the psalmist is saying, don't do that. Like, be, be emotive. Be excited. Right? You, you are, we are gathering to remember that, that Jesus has saved us from our sins. That Jesus has saved us from an eternity in hell. We're gathering to remember that God himself became a man. We're gathering to remember that Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. He died an awful death that should have been ours in our place for our sin. We're gathering to remember that God called us out of our former way of life and into new life in Him. He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us His church. He assured us of eternal life forever. That's what we are remembering together. That's good news. That is really good news. It's worth getting excited about. If you stand up and jump when your favorite team scores a touchdown... Or when the race comes right down to the wire, has an exciting finish, then why wouldn't you do the same thing when you consider the deep realities of the, of the gospel or when you sing about how Jesus died for you? If you cry when you watch some movie about two people falling in love, or The Bachelor, or The Great British Baking Show, then why wouldn't you cry when you consider the forgiveness of sin that you have through Christ when you contemplate spending eternity with Jesus in heaven? The psalmist is saying, 
It's okay to, in fact, it is normal to, and it would be abnormal not to be excited and be passionate and be loud and be emotive. Worshiping God was never intended to be cold, detached, or emotionless. It was intended to be real and exciting and passionate and warm and emotive. Because we're worshiping someone who's big and glorious and someone who is uh, worthy of being emotionally invested in. If you care about God less than you care about, or if you care less about God and the gospel than you care about sports or celebrities, and if your emotions and body language are evidence of that, then that's not a quirk or an idiosyncrasy. That's something to repent of. So be intentional and cultivate the skill of music. Be emotive and be excited about who God is and, 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 you know, worship Him in view of that. And then third is be flexible. And all these different, again, I mentioned it, different kinds of instruments, right? All different genres, all different kind of families of, of instruments. They make different sounds. The different kinds of instruments are typically used in different genres of music. He might as well say, you know, praise Him with the ancient hymns and creeds. Praise Him with music from centuries ago. Praise Him with the pipe organ. Praise Him with new music that was written this decade. Praise Him with guitars and drums. Praise Him a cappella with just your voices. Praise Him with country music. Praise Him with bluegrass. Praise Him with indie and folk music. Praise Him with rock music. Praise Him with hip-hop music. Praise Him with the spoken word. All different instruments, all different styles, all different genres, all different kinds. It's what God intends for musical worship to look like. Which means that we, chances are none of us, like every genre of music equally, we maybe have one or some that we gravitate toward, we need to be flexible. You shouldn't go to a church and say, I'm looking for a church that plays this exact kind of music that I like. I'm looking for a church that plays hymns with a pipe organ. I'm looking for a church that has a gospel choir, like Sister Act. Right? I'm looking for... I'm looking for a, you know, a church that plays top 40 songs from the Christian radio station. I'm looking for a church that, you know, plays, you know, it sounds like Coldplay or U2, right? Or it's like Pearl Jam. It's grungy. It's brooding, right? It's too loud. I'm looking for a church that, that hurts my ears. It's so loud. If, if, listen, if that, if I were super particular, I probably wouldn't be here because I would have come in and be like, I'm looking for a church that doesn't have the electric drum set. Because I'm, I'm like a punk rocker at heart from, the, from a previous life, right, when I was a kid. And so, like, the, the electric drum set, that's for sellouts. The, the, the thing, the in-your-ear monitors, those are for sellouts. And I've been like, no, man, like, we've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. We have to have distortion. We have to have, you know. So you can't, you can't come to a church and say, you know, I'm going to be super finicky in particular about the style and, and genre because it's supposed to be broad. It's supposed to be varied. It's supposed to be diverse, Everyone should like the music that we sing some of the time, and everyone should be kind of unfamiliar with or new to some of the music that we sing at some of the times, and that's supposed to be like that. That's how it's supposed to work. There's a phenomenon in the American church in the 20th century. A lot of churches are still going on today. It's called the worship wars, right? The old people, they like the organ and the hymnals. The young people like the guitars and the PowerPoint. All the young people think the old people are out of touch and grumpy. 
All the old people think the young people are hippies and communist sympathizers or something. I don't know. And so, so we have the, essentially it's just saying, you have your preferences, I have mine, and I'm mine trump yours. Right? I, I want to impose my preferences on you, and I want to deny you the right to be able to enjoy what you enjoy. They didn't, we, worship wars existed because people didn't read Psalm 150 and recognize that God intends to be worshipped through all different kinds of music, all different styles, some that you like, some that you are new to. Young people should make it a point to enjoy the music that old people like. Old people should make it a point to enjoy the music that young people like. It's good for you. White people should, should make it a point to enjoy music that black people like. Black people should make it a point to enjoy the music that white people like. Join in, learn, have fun, enjoy something new, enjoy, get, get outside of your own preferences, cultivate the ability to be blessed by other things that are new and different. So much division in the church happens because we have preferences that we codify and we idolize. Instead of being humble and flexible, we're prideful and we insist on getting our way. So be flexible. Right? Be intentional to cultivate the skill of music. Be emotive and worship God with your heart. And be flexible and be humble. Then finally in verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is not a picture of one person worshiping God as an individual. This is a picture of everyone praising God together. Worshiping God is meant to be done in the context of a community. Men, women, young, old, every race, ethnicity, nationality, right? We kind of have this tendency to think, right? Close my eyes, it's just me and God. Ever in it, you know, like they teach the pitcher or the, the pitcher who's about to throw a pitch or the golfer who's about to make a putt. You know, take dead aim. Zero everything else out. If you ask a pitcher who's good in the major leagues, he'll say, I walk up there, there's tens of thousands of people cheering for me or against me, and I have this way to kind of, they all disappear. And all I can see is the eyes of the catcher in front of me and his glove. We, we say what pitch it is. I'm just playing catch with another guy. There's no batter. There's no umpire. There's no crowd. It's just me and that guy. And everything else is kind of blocked out. We can do that with worship. Some people think it's a virtue to do that with worship, right? Just me and God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to forget about everyone else. And Psalm 150 is saying, when you worship God, you are doing it as a part of a family, as a part of a community, as a part of other people. Colossians 3 says that we're not just supposed to, you know, sing and make music to the Lord. We are supposed to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we sing together, it's not just you singing to God, it's you singing for and with and to and, and alongside other people. Your worship and your singing is not just between you and God. There is a vertical element where your singing is meant to lift God up and exalt Him, but there's a horizontal element where your, your music, your singing, is intended to lift up your neighbors and help them to worship God with you. Which again, back to the beginning, is why corporate worship is such an incredible experience. It's why the pandemic was so bad. Because like the, the magic, the, the 
the mystic, like the, the supernatural, right? The, the, whatever that is, whatever that, that intangible, beautiful thing is that, that happens when we get together and sing together as a family, we lost that. We were taking something that was supposed to be experienced together and we were sitting by ourselves in our living room watching it on a 13-inch screen. It was the worst. I hated it. I, I did not like the, the pandemic. I'm hoping. My hope at some point when it's safe to do so is that we will discontinue the live stream so that we can encourage people to worship God together as a part of a family as opposed to staying home and consuming something that was meant to be a participatory experience. Worship was never intended to be individualistic between you and God. It was intended to be collective, corporate, communal, where you worship God with other people, with your church family who you've been covenantally bound to. Right? We, we all kind of live our lives throughout the week. We kind of you know, accrue our individual experiences and then we bring them here. We bring all of our experiences. We bring all of our emotion. We bring all of our baggage here. And we remember the gospel together. We, we process them together. We, we worship together. We sing. We pray. We encourage one another. We are encouraged by one another. That's kind of the vision, the, the communal, community, relational aspect of musical worship that's, that's kind of seen here in Psalm 150. Worship God who created you instead of some created thing. Worship God because He's transcendent and glorious. Worship God because He is imminent and merciful. Worship God for what He has done. Worship God for who He is. Worship God with music by being intentional and, and emotive and flexible. And worship God in community together with your church family. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you truly are glorious and beautiful and high and exalted. Lord, you reside in the heavens in your excellent greatness. You do whatever you please and you are here with us in this sanctuary, meeting with us presently. God, we ask you, we pray that you would help us to worship you well. Pray that you would help us to worship you in song. Pray that you would help us to worship you together so that you might be glorified in us and so that we might be satisfied in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.